Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the, the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons that in the market daily with them that met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Some, uh, others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into, unto Ariagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, which would... Uh, no, therefore, we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, for I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times beforehand, the determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Father, I just pray you'd help me tonight to uh, deliver the thoughts you put on my heart. And I pray our thoughts would honor you this evening. And uh, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we have Paul who uh, was on a missionary journey, he found himself in Athens, and the Bible said he, the city was wholly given to idolatry and his spirit was stirred within him. Now, just for some background, at the time, Greece was like the center of, of the cultural universe. Um, the, the Greece had influenced every area around the Mediterranean. Uh, it, it was well known for its schools, uh, if you were rich and you had a son, you sent him to Athens to learn. It was like the Harvard of its day. And um, people like Socrates, for example, were held in such high esteem that 600 years later, their, their, his teachings were even questioned. And so the, it really, uh, Athens had a lot of influence in the world of its day. And um, in the ancient world, Idolatry was, was kind of the thing. I think Israel was the only nation at the time that had one God, monotheistic, but um, every other nation had their own gods. You know, when we look in the Bible, and, and the Philistines had Dagon, and uh, there was Ashtaroth, and there was the Roman gods, and, and there was gods, and the stars, and the sun, and the moon. There was Baal, of course. He kind of got the spotlight in the Old Testament. Uh, there was, you know, Chemosh, and on and on it goes, right? There was multiple gods that they worshipped. And we see here that the Athenians had put up an altar to the unknown god. Well, why did they do that? We don't really know. It could be that maybe they had enough light or enough conscience to realize that something was wrong with their own religion. Uh, it could be that maybe they weren't getting their prayers answered. 
It could be any number of things, but they had this altar to the unknown God. And so Paul never wanted to miss an opportunity. He says, I perceive that in all things you're superstitious. And he, he, at that opportunity, he gave them a gospel. Now, just to kind of give some more background. Uh, at the time, I think Pastor talked about this two or three weeks ago. In the Old Testament, uh, when you were in a foreign country, you didn't have the truth. God still gave you a conscience. And when you acted upon the light God gave you, he gave you more light, right? Romans chapter 2.14 uh, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. When someone acts upon the light that God gives them, they're given more truth, right? Till they come to the truth. Uh, we have an example of Rahab in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies in peace. So, Joshua had sent out spies when about before entering the land. And, of course, they went to Jericho. We kind of all know the story. They went to Jericho, and the king of Jericho knew that they were somewhere, and they were hiding in Rahab's house, and, and she put them up on the roof and hid them. And she said this to them. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your, your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. How does she know this? How does she know that the Lord had given them the land? The, the plagues that, that fell on Egypt was 40 years prior. Right? This didn't, the, 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 the judgment of God upon Egypt wasn't a month ago or a week ago. It was 40 years ago. That only means that it was such big news that the, the, older, the generation that lived through it told their children and passed it on. And so Rahab, as we know, and I personally believe that God, uh, the plagues on Egypt, like the, the lice, the, the turning the blood and uh, the water into blood, the frogs, you know, on and on, the, the firstborn dying. It wasn't just to judge Pharaoh or Egypt, but it was to let the Gentiles know who the true God of heaven was. And and here's Rahab. She had that light and she acted upon it. Why didn't the others? Why didn't the others in the city? It's men that love darkness rather than light. Right? They didn't act upon the light that they had. Uh, we see another example on the flip side of the coin of Belshazzar. Uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, we know Belshazzar was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And when we, when we find him in the scriptures, he's drinking wine out of the cups that were brought out of the Lord's house. Uh, the, the cups of, of gold that were used in the service in the temple. Uh, him and his officers and his friends ordered the cups out of the house of the Lord and they got drunk with it. And we know what happens. Uh, a hand comes down and writes on the wall and he's afraid and he's scared. And uh, let me pick it up in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. 
And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his name from him, glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of man, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And now his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest all this. He knew about his father's being lifted up in pride. He knew that his father fell. He probably either knew or heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the, uh, the flames. Maybe he heard of Daniel in the lion's den. He rejected the light that God gave him. Now, that's just some background. And uh, what I wanted to do was that um, even though these scriptures apply to, in Acts 17, unbelievers in Athens and Greece, I want to apply this kind of devotionally to just Christians. I think we can do that. Let's turn to John chapter 6. So in John chapter 6, Jesus performs the great miracle of, of feeding the multitude. And uh, not, they, they saw the baskets of the fragments that were left over. And afterwards, it says in the Bible that uh, when he perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And then uh, eventually he would take a boat and cross the sea. And these men who saw the miracle would kind of come after him, right? So we'll pick it up in... Verse 26. So in John chapter 6, 26. So they're approaching Jesus and they're asking him where he was and what happened to him. And Jesus answered, answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. So I'm just going to talk, in light of what Jesus said here, I'm just going to you know, kind of interpret the next few verses. And Jesus said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which meat, but that for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you for him hath God the Father sealed. So they're looking for him, and he's saying, you know, you're not seeking me because you saw the miracles, but because you eat the loaves, you ate the bread. And that's kind of what they were looking for. As he's trying to get them to think spiritually, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And they say in verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Well, I think they're actually looking to have more bread. They want to perform a miracle making bread. Jesus said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Jesus is trying to get them to be more, think more spiritually, look at him, not just look at the miracle, not look at the fact that they were filled, but to look at the one who made the miracle. Uh, they said on, therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe? Uh, believe thee. Who has, uh, what dost thou work? 
Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread to heaven to eat. They're still looking for more bread. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So he keeps trying to focus their attention away from the bread to him and what he had to offer. Something more spiritual, something more permanent, something eternal. Um, But I say unto you, that you have seen and believe not. And I often, like, I've often looked at these verses and I said, you know, I thought to myself, how could they be so dull? I mean, they not only saw this miracle, they took part, they ate this bread, they took part in this great miracle, but yet Jesus said they stood and believed and they kept thinking about temporary things. But then, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of whispered to me, as he always does when I look down at people in the Bible, that, uh, yeah, that uh, I basically do the same thing. So while they were focused on their bread and something temporary, a lot of my prayers are, God, uh, you know, I have this need here. God, uh, help me with this situation. God, help me over the hump with this. You know, it, it's, a lot of the prayers are focused on temporary things. And it occurred to me how little I've asked for the filling of God's Holy Spirit. How little I ask for spiritual things, right? The Holy Spirit is God's greatest gift to the church outside of salvation. He's our comforter. He's our teacher, right? And, and, and unfortunately, we don't ask for him enough. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And the first step in in knowing God and in studying your Bible, actually, is uh, not making the casual assumption that God thinks like we do. Right? His ways are not our ways. Uh, If you're saved, you're a child of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know him. When I was in college, I'll give you an example. When I was in college, way, way back in my early 20s, long, long time ago, I was uh, sitting in the library with a friend of mine from school. And uh, he, was a, he was an Episcopalian, and we started, we, we had a conversation about, I don't even remember what it was. It was something in the Bible or something spiritual. I, I, don't, I don't remember. But our, our conversation turned into uh, a debate and then it turned into an argument, and then it turned into a heated argument. And at the time, there was, right there at the table, there was two or three people that were lost. And I remember walking away thinking, you know, I don't know, I think I won that debate. Not even thinking about the lost souls that were at that table that day and the impact it had on them. It was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, uh, Lack compassion, it lacked wisdom. Now I, I read, I was reading the Bible at the time, I was praying at the time, but my knowledge of God's heartbeat for souls and my knowledge of God's agenda and what He wants was still developing. Right? 
We see it in the scriptures. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. So in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they were said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, <clears throat> You know not what manner of spirit you're of. So these disciples were going through, they're ready to go through Samaria, but the Samaritans didn't want anything to do with Jesus. You know, they had the attitude of, you know, we're good. And so his disciples thought, well, maybe we should rain down fire from heaven. That obviously wasn't Christ, wasn't part of Christ's plan. Simply that their, their knowledge of Christ. Uh, heart, their knowledge of what Christ wanted to do and what he was there to do wasn't developed yet. For the Son of Man has come not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village, right? And we see Peter in the garden who took out a sword, who, who smoked the uh, ear off the, uh, <clears throat> off of the servant of the high priest. He didn't understand. Jesus took the ear back and he healed the, the servant. But, you know, all this, all this, this is fine as long as we're moving in the right direction, right? Because we, when we're saved, we don't understand everything right away. We don't understand God's agenda. We don't know the Bible, right? So it takes time. And as long as we're moving in the direction of seeking God and seeking a knowledge of God and his will, we're, we're, it's, 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 we're heading in the right direction, right? <clears throat> but unfortunately, many Christians are simply, we're content with where we're at. We're not moving towards a, a better knowledge of God's will. We find a groove, and because it's comfortable, we just kind of stay there. Every Wednesday when I, I come to church, I got on Route 8, and without fail, there's always somebody right behind me going 80 miles an hour. Yeah, some of you know. And I, you know, they eventually swerve around me or whatever. And then five seconds later, I'm behind someone who's going 40 miles an hour. So, you know, I go around them. And then finally I find some, you know, a groove, a, you know, comfortable pace or speed, you know, where I'm not stressed. That's fine if you're driving. But when you're a Christian, we're really not supposed to be comfortable. All right. We, we sometimes find a comfortable spot and we stay there. God's, God's goal or God's plan is that we move closer to him and that we sometimes get out of our comfort zone. That's why he has to change some things in our lives. So I want to talk about four different types of Christians briefly. And I know before I start that we can't just pigeonhole Christians into one group or another, but just for the purpose of illustration... You know, you have the, the new Christian. This is, this is someone who's just got saved. They don't have a clear knowledge of right and wrong. Many times they still have problems that they need to work out. 
they don't really may not understand a lot of the Bible, but sometimes they make up for that in zeal. Um, but they're eager to learn. And then as we move along, the next group, these are Christians who have grown a bit in the Lord. They know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, they try to live right. They try to be honest. They try to work hard. They try to raise their children right. They try to uh, pay their bills. Uh, they probably read the Bible. They probably attend a church once in a while. Uh, I, I believe that this group kind of comprises the, the, the bulk of Christianity, saved Christianity in America today. If you hand them a gospel tract, they're not going to, you know, crush it up and throw it on the ground. They'll say thank you and they'll smile. The problem with this group is that while they loved God at one point, the love that they had has cooled into a type of respect. They don't seek God anymore. They don't really love God anymore. What it is really is respect. They respect good people. They respect people who live right and do right. Um, they're like the, the, the seeds that fell among the thorns. You know, deep down in their heart, their love is actually something else. And it could be anything. It could be a house. It could be a career. Uh, there's Christians who I believe love the Republican Party more than they love Jesus Christ. You know, but whatever the reason... Something has replaced God. Something has replaced their love of God. Next group. These are Christians that don't just respect God. They love God. You might see these Christians working in a church. They try to attend many services, right? They love the Bible. They don't just read the Bible. They study it. Um, they don't just give. They give sacrificially. They love the Lord. They love people. They sweat. They sacrifice. They serve. The only thing wrong with this group is that many times their service is measured. And what I mean is, if push comes to shove, it means losing their job or their spouse or their life. They'll put on the brakes. The last group uh, how many of you have heard of David Branyard? Raise your hand. Yeah. David Branyard was one of the early missionaries um, in the 1700s. And when he was in college, uh, he felt that the Lord wanted him to preach the gospel. And so he went out uh, to preach the gospel to, to the Indians. And unfortunately for him, at the same time, he also had tuberculosis. You know, at the time it was called consumption. So he started spitting up blood. He started having uh, breathing problems, but it didn't deter him. He just went anyway. And he went and he witnessed to the Indians. And uh, he dealt with hunger, sickness, depression, loneliness. And he was only out for three, four years before he had to quit. He was too sick. He was bedridden for I don't know how long, and he died. But that man, because of his sacrifice, because of his pursuit of God, launched a, a generation of missionaries. William Carey, Jim Elliott, Adoniram Judson, and Jonathan Goforth were all influenced by the, the writings of, of uh, David Brainerd. It was his journal. He kept a journal of his hardships out in the field, out when he was uh, 
uh, preaching to the Indians. There was no mission board that could help him out that day. There was, you know, he couldn't take a plane home, obviously. So there, he, he lacked food. Yeah, there was no comfort. Uh, that's a man who knew God, in my opinion. Uh, Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, again, we can't make, you know, Christians have weaknesses and strengths. There's no, we're all just sinners saved by grace, right? But the point is, no matter where we are in the Christian life, whether you were saved last week or you're like the Apostle Paul, God's always calling us closer. He's always calling us closer. He's always calling us to have a better knowledge of him and his will. Um, Just some practical tips. Don't just read the Bible. uh, Study it. If you just look at the one gospel for the account of the crucifixion, you'll know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, right? But does that give you the complete picture? No. You have to read all four gospels. It gives you a complete picture of what happened. Only Luke contains the dialogue between Jesus and the thief on the cross. And it doesn't stop there. If you want to know the prophecies of the crucifixion, you have to go to the prophets. If you want to know how Jesus felt on the cross, you can go to the book of Psalms. On and on it goes, right? So it's not just reading the Bible, it's studying. And then through studying, uh, we, we can develop a closer relationship with God, a better knowledge of God. When we pray, uh, many of us use lists, right? So we go over a list and we pray for others. But if we do that always, uh, it becomes routine. So when we pray, sometimes what we can do is take a Bible and, and just kind of read some scripture and then pray from there and read some more scripture, meditate on it, and wait for the Spirit to talk to us and lead us in prayer. Let the Spirit tell us who needs prayer and what to pray for. When we have a problem, don't just pray to have it fixed. Right? Our problems have a, a reason and a purpose. Pray for the reason behind the problem. Maybe God's intending you to use that, to, to take that problem that you've experienced and help others down the road. Right? Maybe God's trying to tell us something about something we should do or not do. Right? So a lot of times we'll take a problem and we'll just say, Lord, please help me go, you know, get this over with and whatever. But there's more to it than that. And put God first. Right? Always put God first. We heard this morning that, um, is it God's money or my money? But we could extend that to other things as well. Is it my free time or is it God's time? Um, is, it my, is Hannah my daughter or is she God's daughter? Is, do we truly own the houses we live in or does God own them? Right? Uh, turn to Philippians. I'll just close with a verse here. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Our God's a consuming fire. And he's always calling us closer to him and a better knowledge of him. He took Job, who he said was the most righteous man on the face of the earth, and took his health, his wealth, 
and his kids so he could teach them a spiritual lesson. So we never arrive. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. Right? Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your goodness. Uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, to help us all to pursue you. Help us all to maintain a, a close relationship with you. And uh, wherever we are in our Christian walk, Lord, help us to work out those kinks and uh, to have a true relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Syrat. Well, before we have our invitation, I would just ask you, where are you on that, uh, on that list of four types of Christians he gave? I wrote them down this way. There's the new Christian. Maybe you're here and you've just gotten saved. All this is brand new to you. Well, jump into the Bible and begin to read it and study it. Be faithful to church and you'll grow. The second category I wrote down was the knowledgeable Christian. Some of you in here, you've been going to church a long time. You know. You know right from wrong. You know where all 66 books of the Bible are. You can get to them real quick. Right? You can just about fill out the outline before it's even given. Uh, you know the truths and all the angles. You've heard it. But you're not really living it. You have a head knowledge, but you're not really living for the Lord. He said he believed that's where most Christians in America are today. I agree with that. I agree with that. How about the semi-devoted Christian? Christians who are willing to serve God to a point. Right? They love God and they love others unless it starts to cost them too much. And then they, uh, they back off. And then the fourth one is the sold out Christian. That no matter what, I'm going to be a David Brainer type. I'm going to fulfill God's calling in my life even if it kills me. Even if it costs me everything. You know, with brother with uh, David Brainyard, he was that. If you let if you let me be liberal with the passage here, he was that seed of wheat that went in the ground and died and brought forth much fruit. And because he was willing to give his life. Look at all of the missionaries and all of the millions and millions of people that have been saved because of of, of a life of suffering for Jesus. Sometimes God calls Christians to see little fruit in their life, but to suffer. As they serve. And so are you a new Christian? Well then work to become a knowledgeable Christian. Are you a knowledgeable Christian? Work uh, to become a devoted Christian. And if you're a devoted Christian. Work to become a sold out Christian. Uh, we all need to self evaluate. And decide we're going to give our heart to Jesus. And we're not going to hold anything back. 
All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give, the song says. And uh, let the Lord work in your heart this evening. Thank you so much for that message, Brother Cyrus. Let's stand to our uh, feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, help us tonight to take what we've heard. May we not serve some version of God that we create in our own minds and lives. May we not make the God of the Bible into the God that's convenient for us. Lord, may we let who you are be who we worship and who we serve. May we not just pick and choose as to what's convenient. For the knowledgeable Christians this evening, Lord, my prayer is that they would decide they're going to go from just knowing the Bible to living in their daily life. Serving you faithfully here at church. And for those that are doing that, Lord, my prayer is that they'll take that next step and be sold out for you. Help us, Lord, tonight. Thank you for the speaker. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for his life. Lord, help all of us this evening to make decisions that will please you. In Jesus' name.